I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of uh, Isaiah, chapter 1, and those verses will be um, shown brightly on the screen here in just a minute. <clears throat> Today, uh, I feel that this message is more of a kind of a rhema explanation of something that God is trying to do in all of us as we are being um, continually readied to function as sons and as saints in this time frame, and, um, and particularly to be um, able to minister to the Lord and be useful to him in the, the spiritual terrain that he's causing us to walk through in him. And um, today we want to talk about refinement and how that the Lord is continuing to work a work or attempting to work a work of refinement in us. Um, there are so many verses that we could share about this. You know, in the New Testament, one of my favorites is, um, is when um, we read that if we say we are perfect, we deceive ourselves. Uh, there's always something that God is wanting to, to, to continue to, to refine in us. Even though we're cleansed from sin and we're born again, thanks be to the Lord, uh, we still live in um, this physical climb and we have a mind that needs to continually be submitted to die daily. And we, we keep on being perfected. And that measure of perfection is an ongoing thing in that <clears throat> as we learn and as we serve the Lord, the Spirit is always speaking to us from His Word, the washing of water by the Word, saying, you know what, uh, you need to align a little bit better with this. You need to align more perfectly with this. And so God is always wanting through His Spirit, through His Word, through the things that he uh, tries to impart to us. He's, he's always wanting to make us grow stronger and to eliminate things that are not helping us and in many ways are detriments to us. So that is an ongoing process. But it would seem that with every measure of promotion, every measure of going forward into something new into the Lord, um, when we say we offer fasting, to welcome that, that is, that is an appeal to God to look through our lives and say, uh, how do you want me to be outfitted for this new time, and what do you want to get rid of? What do you want me to do away with? When we come before the table of communion every time, um, there is that issue of dealing with bitterness, the sop, the bitter sop, and um, so that we do not destroy our ability to partner with God in grace in the new day. You know, one of the things that um, we've been studying about recently, we've not taught on yet, is um, how that if, if the trees do not process the impurities out of the air properly, um, because we know when, when that does happen, then there's a sweetness that empowers the growth of the tree the development of the roots, 
and the empowerment of the fruits that are to be generated. But if, if there's a, a glitch in that, then um, there can be damage to the roots. And um, when the roots are growing, they put out some kind of a, I'm not using the proper scientific words, some kind of a, of a, um, a communication or maybe, maybe some kind of a fragrance, maybe some kind of a, of a biological hormone um, to indicate that they're growing. And um, this then speaks to things, to specific kinds of seeds that are in the earth that only come to life when that, when that is sent forth. And if the roots aren't growing properly, if they're not strong, then they can become uh, corrupted by these seeds. And then what Hebrews says, uh, roots of uh, bitterness spring up. And they defile many, and they really destroy the tree. So how we deal on an ongoing basis with the Lord wanting to perfect us and strengthen us, how we continue to deal with spiritual warfare as God would direct us and make sure that you're not picking fights and things that you've not been assigned to, to do anything with. Um, but but we, we part of our perfection, being perfected and refined, is, is so that we don't make ourselves vulnerable uh, through disobedience or not proper attendance to what God is trying to do on an ongoing basis. And, and I probably need to script all of this out, the, the issues of how we are to be refined, uh, especially in the prospect of going forward. But all of those things that I mentioned are all factors that are very clear in the Word, and we need to, and we need to um, be very clear that we we follow them because when the anointing, when when God's purpose be, is begins to be released, and it touches our purpose, it touches our purpose, what we're called to be, what what is there that could be corrupted? Well, iniquity is twisted purpose, and as the old, I, I remember, <clears throat> I remember reading, and I've told you that I had this privilege um, when I was in uh, my second year in in college second and third year, uh, somehow I was put in charge of, uh, of trying to go through the, the letters and the, the various um, journal entries and the things that some of the founders of the Assembly's movement had sent into headquarters or were asking for, um, for help or, or, or for wisdom when the movement just began in dealing with people that were being confronted with the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the first time and the, and the crazy things that then happened, extravagances, um, but, but things that people would rise up to attack or they would just get twisted. And I remember reading for the first time a quote by, uh, I don't know who it was attributed to, but one of the founding guys in the assemblies, his last name was Goss, he wrote, um, we know that a rising tide floats all boats. And that's true. And when God begins to pour out his spirit, you're, you're going to find issues in your life that will try to rise up, iniquities that want to hold on. And God is wanting to send his strength to your purpose, to what he has created you to be. But it's up to you 
to partner with the Lord to submit that that purpose goes forward and to keep a watchful eye that iniquities that perhaps may have become your best friend over the years, um, that, that those things die, that they're a living sacrifice and that the refinement process goes on. So the refinement that the Lord wants in all of us, it's not a horrible thing. It's not some kind of a, of a self-flagellation where you have to say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. God doesn't want to hear you say you're sorry. He wants you to say, here am I, send me. He wants you to say, yes, Lord, cleanse me, I'm going forward. But sometimes people mire in the pit of sorrow instead of emerging from that miry clay and going forward on the rock. But, but refinement is something that the Spirit is always working on on a daily basis to strengthen you, to, to help you. But um, when, when we begin a new work in the Lord, whether it's at the table of communion where you deal with bitterness through the bitter sop, in, in the power of the Spirit through that prophetic point of obedience, or, or whether it's fasting to begin a new work where you then receive a new wineskin, the new garments. Um, it's, it's all us going before the Lord so that we can become perfected, that we can grow in Him, and that we can, uh, that we can keep overcoming to make ourselves ready for the Lord uh, so that we don't commit some kind of, of, uh, of self-destruct because we didn't submit to the Spirit. And um, this is all, you've all been living this over the years, so I'm not, I'm not talking about some backward Greek that you never studied. I mean, you've been, have you ever met a backward Greek? <laughs> oh, all right, I better keep going. Maybe that's one of the iniquities I need to let go of. I'm, I think funny things and I just say them. Well, that one maybe wasn't that funny, but I said it anyway. Um, so, but today, I want us to talk about the refining of gold and the refining of silver, particularly in, um, in what's being done in us right now, because we know that gold exemplifies our faith and the purity and the weightiness and the, um, um, the exceptional nature of that refined gold that has to be uh, as whoever we are in God as we're presenting our very best to him, as we are doing the work of the kingdom personally as an individual offering. You know, I was reading about how the altar of incense was made, and it was made of the most precious refined gold, and that that is the, the vehicle of our, of our prayers of the saints. So the gold has to do with who we are as an individual, what God has asked us to be. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. But then silver, as we've said on many occasions in our studies over the years, is a lieutenant's co uh, color. It, it speaks about us being willing to find our place and to serve diligently and faithfully and obediently in whatever position God has put us in. And um, it's, it's really the application of our service and our finding our place under 
Adonai to, to fulfill what God wants. And both of those elements, uh, both of those um, materials uh, had, had the need to be refined, but they had different ways that they were refined. And, and so uh, I, I just feel like God is trying to refine all of us in the gold of our faith and the gold of our identity in a new way for this coming season. And he's wanting to refine uh, the silver quality of our life in a new way in regard to this coming season. And I'll, I'll tell you why this is so important. It dawned on me at like 3 in the morning today. Um, I said to all of you back when in, in the early part of um, uh, when the COVID shutdown came, I said that there was an influence that was being released in our country and in the world that seemed to be a disobedience and a an angry, violent kind of an influence. And it, sir, has permeated much of society. And I told you that it would it this influence would kind of search out and try to find places where it could cause you to become irritated and aggravated and get inflamed. And, and, and we talked about this back then, that um, what we had to do was, was go before the Lord, yield ourselves, recognize it was happening, pray in the Spirit so that God would cause us to overcome that influence, to shut off any measure of, of avenue where it could, could find us because and find a ready partner in us. And we have seen that happen uh, across our country. And it, it seems to have found root in so many places. Um, you know, that summer of violence came uh, after, after we began to talk about this. We better watch out. This is coming. And cities were burned. You know, um, Kenosha, Wisconsin, where I had several of my friends from Bible college, they came from that city, just the downtown area. You saw it on TV, not on CNN, but you saw it on TV. Burned, just burned. Baltimore, um, several other places around the country. Thank God Dallas was largely preserved. But that, uh, that anger and that vitriol and that bitter, bitter root uh, yielding to the spirit of violence, the children of disobedience, anger. This is a, a, a demonic influence, and part of the refining that the Lord was trying to do with us then was to seal that possibility off from directing our lives so that we then could be uh, an overcomer that's welcoming the goodness of the Lord, to welcome what God would say when the enemy comes in that way, to welcome what God would say uh, in, um, in, the, uh, in the welcoming of the, the, the ways of God in this time frame. And, you know, we talked about how Judas there, with that, the whole significance of putting his hand into the sop with Jesus, at that point, Whatever his issues were, 
Jesus was giving him an opportunity to deal with that, but instead he did not. And from that point, this is another teaching that you should know, Satan, the Bible says, entered in. It was the second time Satan entered in in the Scripture to him. The first was in the planning stage. The second was in the culmination. But God wants us to be lights in the world, and he wants us to be in the world but not of the world. And part of our ability to, um, to overcome is to eliminate areas where we could readily in the flesh or in points where we have not submitted ourselves to God, become really partners with the demonic. And I said this a long time ago. We've lived this. You know, a lot of the things that came against this church, I know the enemy was pleased with. But a lot of them were things that the enemy just influenced people to do. And humans did a much better job than any demon in hell could have done in their, the way that they rose up and the way that they yielded their iniquities to come against the things that God was wanting to do. We bless all those folks. I'm not dredging up things. I'm just making a point that when you're walking today in this world, when God is releasing his kingdom to you, and he is, when God is sending us into the world, we've got to continually be presenting ourselves before the throne saying, search me, O Lord, try me, Psalm 51. Um, see if there be any wicked way in me. Help me. Cast me not away from your presence. I don't want anything to keep me from you. And this doesn't, again, have to be some, oh, morbid, you know, I'm, oh, I'm just suffering for Jesus kind of a thing. This is getting rid of stuff that you don't need and letting God perfect and fine-tune you. This is where contrition comes in. This is where forgiveness and releasing things to the Lord comes in. And this is yielding yourself to God where that comes in. So I think that God is doing a work. You know, we came back from Brazil. And I, th I think, don't write this down, I think I'm going to teach on Wednesday about the principles of the, of the rear guard and, and what, what all is really involved there because I, need, I think we need to understand more clearly what that is when you go forth in battle or when the tabernacle is moving. Uh, and, and I think we need to begin to lay claim to the divine partnership in ways beyond what we've known. And, and I, I know that that's true. We'll talk more about that on Wednesday. At some point, we're going to give that teaching very soon. But you get back from Brazil, we had great victories. And I'm telling you, in the past few days, uh, well, I, Tuesday, Wednesday, into Thursday, I would feel just, I would be in the presence of the Lord, and I would just feel just displaced anger and irritation. And it was like it would just come. And it wasn't, it wasn't that I was thinking about any of you. It, it just, it would just come. And, and, and I, sometimes I would be driving on the road. You know, I'd be leaving the office. And I'd just become infuriated. with. I mean, it was just something horrible. And I finally recognized, I called out to the Lord, what is this? This is, this is similar to what we felt at the beginning of that season with the COVID shutdown. 
but but now this is almost like a direct affront it's almost like we're whatever advances we have made on a on behalf of the throne in a continental level as sons and the authority god is wanting to give to us the enemy is targeting and is confronting that i mean this was this was almost like and i didn't see anything and that's not really necessary but I, I could feel almost an affront that was coming against me and coming against our work, but it was so effusive that it would try to draw from any area that I was, had not committed to God. I used to say, oh, brother, that, the enemy can't have that effect on you. Well, tell that to any number of people in the Scripture. You explain to me what was going on in them where God himself is meeting with Elijah. <clears throat> and <laughs> how, uh, anyway, I'm not going to go there. But, but the point, though, is that there is, a, there, there is a, a calling that God has given to us, our essential calling as a touch point of this saint's message and the responsibilities we've been given you've got the working of the gold of of what is represented by this precious thing that god has given us and how we as individuals commit ourselves to it and then there is this the 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 depiction of what silver represents in the scripture where each of us are fulfilling what we're called to do. Gold is to be, silver is to do. And, and how we are to be reaching out to these individuals that God is calling to take their place in, in the nations. And um, in order for us to do that, we've got to submit the, the quality of who we are in the Lord, um, so that we we are we're we are representing Him in those things. He's given us an authority to represent Him, but if we've been given an authority and a power, then um, we've got to make sure that everything in us is not going to blow a circuit, or to to rise up and do something. That, like with Moses, Moses is standing there at the rock. God has talked to him from the right hand of the throne, told him what to do, to speak. And he gets there with this enhanced going into the land and authority and power, which he had not had to that point. And suddenly, boom, you rebels, you ingrates, whack, whack, here's your water. We can't have that happen to us. And we have the example of Moses as, as a wonderful blessing. But I think a large part of that is um, we have to recognize that what, there, 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 is, there are oppositions that don't want us representing the kingdom. And, um, you know, the enemy always tries to pull something out of you. Like, for instance, remember the scripture that talks about Michael and how he was Satan was contesting with him over the body of Moses. You remember this scripture? And the Bible says, Michael said, 
And the same thing can be said in the book of Zechariah when they were before the throne. These angels, the Lord rebuke you. I'm not going to engage. And, and in the New Testament, it said Michael did not commit a blasphemia crisis. He did not go against what God was wanting him to represent and to present the judgment of God only. So there again, you see there and in the book of Zechariah and in other places that when you're dealing in these higher levels of, of, of God giving you an assignment to stand with him, that you cannot, you, you've got to guard yourself, but the enemy is going to try to influence you to do things that you shouldn't do. Okay, well, you know, you're, you're just speaking. In, what about when Jesus went into the wilderness, driven by the Spirit in the wilderness? What did the enemy try to do there? Anybody? Hey, let's talk about the Scripture, you who wrote it all. Um, how about, uh, I know you're hungry, how about commanding these stones to be made bread? So you're telling me that when you're representing God, the enemy doesn't try to pull something out of you that you should know better than to do. And I think part of that for us is to go before the Lord, recognize that God wants to prepare us for this, and God wants to work on those areas that in some ways is almost second nature for us to react. You push the buttons. We say, oh, he just pushed my buttons. And then I saw red. We don't say that very much anymore. We were growing up, we'd hear people say that, and I'd think, man, you need to get your eyes checked. But, you know, and I'm not giving too much authority to the enemy here. I'm not. But I'm saying, take heed when you think you stand. <laughs> because you've got to stay humble, you've got to stay meek, and you've got you've to recognize that, that um, I'm going to submit myself to God so that he who knows what is coming can perfect, help me to become perfected so that I won't partner with things that the enemy will try to engage me in and that where great power is, there's great responsibility. And, you know, um, when, when we have when we have a greater responsibility and a greater effusion of the power of the Lord flowing on through us, oh, we've got to make sure that the mechanism is not suspect, and that mechanism is us. Does that make sense? So how do we do this? Well, here in Isaiah 1, out of scads, we're going to look at Isaiah 1, we're going to look at Revelation 3, and we're going to look at 1 Peter 1, and that's our scriptures for today. But in Isaiah 1, you have Isaiah, my favorite Old Testament prophet. Samuel's a 1B on that. Um, here he says to Jerusalem, beginning at verse 21, How is the faithful city become a harlot? It was full of judgment. Righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. The silver is itself become dross, the wine mixed with water. And then we see uh, later on in verse 25, I will turn my hand upon you and purely purge away your dross and take away all your tin, and I will restore judges as to the first, 
counselors at the beginning. Afterwards, you'll be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. What does this mean? And what is the differentiation between these two things? Because this is Isaiah at the beginning of his ministry saying how Jerusalem went south. The first thing is when it says, you know, you used to have um, judgment functioning in the ways of God and righteousness was in you, but now <laughs> you're murderers. That's a pretty bad indictment. Your silver has become dross. This is really interesting because this verse talks about, um, and then wine mixed with water. We're not talking about wine today. We're old Assembly of God people. Uh, the silver has become dross. Um, how they have Welch's juice back then? Anyway, I don't know. Um, the silver has become dross. And that says that the process where silver is refined and is, has become um, abandoned. It, it's become, dare I say, watered down. And now instead of the purity that God wants in the judges, in the teachers, in the priests, in the leaders, now it's become every person for themselves. And we're just going to kill to get what we want. And the, the process of the refining of what their individual identity before the Lord was, was gone. And um, that, that's strange. And so then God says through Isaiah in verse 25, your solution is that my hand is allowed to come upon you. And that dross that you have said is silver now the process of refining is given its place again through the direction of my hand, and, um, and, and I will take away even the, the residue of the tin, which is kind of the, the grossness. The dross, that's a good study for you. If you look up dross, you can study this. <clears throat> um, dross is always that refuse that comes about as a part of, of uh, this metallurgical process of refining. And uh, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like, in, in fact, it's interesting. You remember when uh, Elijah was on the top of the mountain with the uh, prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth, and they were cutting themselves and doing all kinds of crazy maneuvers, and Elijah starts making fun of them. And what we've preached about in some ways, and it is kind of funny, it could be used for this, is we've said that Elijah was perhaps saying, has your God gone to the bathroom? And he uses this word for dross because it was used as the byproduct of human anatomy, uh, our metabolic process where um, it's kind of a euphemism for some other words that Dennis and I aren't allowed to say anymore. Um, and, um, but it, it's kind of like you could go to the bathroom, but he also invokes this business of dross. And, and I think that as funny as that is about has your God gone to the bathroom, I think Isaiah was mocking what had happened in that city that was controlled by Ahab and Jezebel and the ways that they would create their idols and do metallurgy, 
and somehow uh, asked for the invocation of blessing upon certain amulets and things of that nature, which was very much a part of what was going on in Jerusalem at that time. And so he says, is your God out trying to work some new measure of dross? Is he trying to get purer? Is he trying to get stronger so that he can actually do what we're expecting either my God or your demon to do? I think that's very interesting that he uses that same term for dross. But the point, though, is, is that when God extends his hand to us and he wants to restore righteousness in a land or he wants to bring judgment and judges into the land, when we're in that time frame for an entire continent now, um, God's hand wants to do a refining work. We need to pray for those people down there because some of those pastors that I talk to are already facing people saying, you know what, we see this in this, tell me if you've heard this before, we see this in the scripture, but nah, it's not for us. We just don't want to do it. It's too much work. You know, and I'm not really sure that this is what Aunt, Aunt uh, uh, Feliciano, what she told me. And so I, I think we'd better go somewhere else where we're, we're not required to do so much. That, that praying on our face, I don't know about that. We need to pray for those pastors that they'll remain strong as the things that God searches for are being done. But I, I do think that um, as we are going to be representing God and in some ways initiating this process, and that's already happened, we've got to make sure that the refining fire of the Lord in partnership with him is doing its work in us. So let's talk just a little bit about the silver. Now, Elijah hits on the silver, and that's important. He talks about silver here in both of these passages and attributing that to be the reason that Jerusalem had gone downhill um, because everybody has to be doing what they're supposed to do and they're doing it before the Lord. The gold was really the identity of the nation. And, and at that point, I guess Uzziah was the king at this point. They were blessed abundantly. Um, but, um, oh, man, success can, can really be the chief opponent to the ongoing move of the Lord. And we have to be really careful. We'll talk about Laodicea last. Uh, that we that we maintain the gold of our faith, our assignment before the right hand of the throne. But this is talking about silver. So silver um, was was something that was purified in in two two stages. The first was the separating the silver from um, lead content, and and to to break away other ores. And to sometimes you had to hammer that and break it down, and then you'd put it into a furnace, and the silver would then emerge from this. But uh, it was usually a small amount, a, a very small, left, less than one half percent. They said, through it was a lot of work to get silver, you know. And I was studying about the the mining of silver. You know, the great Nevada, um, the great Nevada silver. Uh, that was discovered. You know, Mark Twain went out there, and he was uh, he was writing for a newspaper when that great silver vein was discovered. Did you know that the great, the biggest chunk of silver ever discovered in the world that was just in one place was 2,700 pounds, and it was found in Mexico. And they're still trying to move it. Um, but um, 
you know, usually silver, when you're trying, and they also said that in a number of years, um, the supply of silver is, is largely going to be depleted. And we'll have to find it in, in ways that it's already been used. But silver wasn't as easy to find as, as some might think. And, um, and I think that's interesting because many are called, few are chosen. You know, you have the opportunity to, to, to serve God in a, in a more profound way. But um, when the refining process begins, there's not a whole lot of people that say, yes, Lord, I'm going to go for it. And so they, they would then, after they would, um, in this initial process, sometimes they would release chemicals to try to separate and to cleanse through a chemical reaction and to cause the silver to emerge. And, you know, that can be a number of factors. But I do know that when God is initially calling people, you know, sometimes it's a heartbreak. Sometimes it's not a heartbreak, but a heartbreaking. And sometimes it's influences that come that will test whether you're going to go on with God or not. But that's the initial process of silver. And then when they get the, uh, usually silver is bonded with lead, usually. And then they, uh, the second stage, this is interesting, I, I wrote it. Um, they, would, they would put this into a, 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 a shallow vessel called a cupel, and it was a porous substance that made this, made of bone ash, and the furnace would be heated up until the molten lead was bright red, and then they would release a blast of air that would turn the lead that was bonded with the silver into oxide, and that became a dross, but it would be absorbed into this cupel, this, this vessel. And that was just fascinating to me. And I wonder about the process of God. You know, we, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. <clears throat> we say, yes, Lord. And then the next wave of the refining fire comes, and we, we feel the areas that are not our purpose, that are not our function, being drawn away into the world, drawn away into things that surround us, and but we have to go on. And that sucking process of of our purpose and our, uh, the, the function of our purpose, the demonstration of what we're called to be, if, if, if the world itself doesn't represent this, this vessel and um, if we aren't feeling the pull and we can either go along with that and give place to what the world is doing or we can say, no, I'm, I'm going to stand in a, in a new measure of purity in what I'm called to be. I, I think that's very interesting. And so the first issuance of silver, where it has become dross, would probably represent whether those people were willing to abandon the things of the world that they'd become ingrained in. And then the second measure where God turns his hand and purely purge talks about this, and that, that phrase talks about this second stage process where the, the second 
measure of refinement is put into this vessel and God watches over that and then the breath of his spirit comes and somehow through that breath the silver separates from the lead and the dross then is sucked into that that uh, that earthen vessel and and then what emerges is what we're supposed to be in the Lord but I, I, I really think that part of our process is is God preparing us to represent this um, because this is talking about people being willing to step into an alignment with the with the purpose of God the goal of what the throne is commanding but then them doing what they're supposed to do. What they're supposed to do. And, and you know, let's reference that wonderful scripture that talks about apples of gold on trays of silver. That's the word fitly chosen, and that's what you and I have. We can offer these people the identity of the throne of God, what God has called you to be in your nation. And that is, that is the gold but we all do our part to provide that tray upon which that gold is offered to them. And that's, that's important. So um, I think that some of this is going on in us. And I, I'm not saying, okay, now where am I? Am I being broken right now? Am I, am I being put into this, this, uh, this ash bowl? Or, 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 or what, what, where am I? Don't worry about any of that. Just know that this process is coming, and, and, and it's probably happening right now. And you need to say, Lord, I'm committed. If there's any way that I have bonded with the world or circumstances, I need to submit that to you and be broken away from that. And, and as your fire comes, I want to be red in the judgment and burning of the Lord. And, and I, I want at that point where I'm committing to serve you in your ways, let your breath blow upon me and let it do a work where the things of, of this world that might still be in me, that might still be burning, it's like the wheat and the tares growing together and the angels come and take them uh, the wheat. Um, I, I don't want to fail you in any of these, of these areas. I want to be pure before you in what I'm called to be. And that drawing away of this, of this really unique uh, vessel is probably a pull to say, hey, you want to come with me? You know, this, this is great. This visitation of the fire is great. Uh, this being bright red in the judgment and the burning of the Lord. I feel his breath coming. Ooh, this is great. Hey, I, 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 I've had enough of this uh, I'm going to absorb myself back into the world. Uh, you want to come? You know, we need to say, as for me and my life, I'm going to serve the Lord. And that's a, that's a twofold measure. And it, it seems like every time God is ready to do something with us as judges, with us as teachers, the dross of our life, there's always going to be, no matter through any eternity, there's always going to be some measure where God is wanting to make us purer. You know, areas, I said this over the past few years, and I didn't really understand. I knew enough to say it was going on. Things that I thought we had overcome, and we did. Things that I thought I had overcome, and I did. 
Spirit would bring them up. And I think, why are you bringing this up? You know, how am I to counsel God? We, we went through this, and that stuff was bad. You delivered us from it. I don't like what happened there. We were done wrong. And, and I remember saying, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to file lawsuits. I'm not going to do these things because I don't want to have anything screw up what you're wanting us to do. I thought that was all gone. And then God starts talking to me about, yeah, yeah, down deep, you really wanted to get them. You really wanted to do this. And I'd say, yeah. Why am I bringing this up? I didn't do it. And God starts drawing it out. See, no matter how many victories you have, there's always some... And it, God, God is not looking at... God loves you. He just wants you to be perfected. And why doesn't He perfect me all at once? Because how would you grow then? How would you grow then? How could he know he could trust you with, uh, with a partnership if it was just all done, boom, like this for you? So why the need for this perfecting now? Because God is going to, he's entrusting things that are beyond anything that we could imagine. And we need to say, search me, Lord. Um, we, you know, we fasted, we prayed, and, and we're still in that mode. Help me to serve you. Here I am. I die daily. You would think that the Apostle Paul would finally have had enough being dead, you know, being beaten, messengers of Satan buffeting, you know, all those things. After a while, you think, hey, haven't I died enough? Just let me live. Let me live for a while. Um, I die daily. And no matter what language you're in, daily means every day. So anyway, the silver is that. And that has to do with our being willing to stay submitted to what we're supposed to be and being formed into something that God needs for us to be commensurate with what is coming and what is already here. Now, gold was another thing because Gold would be gold's gold, gold's purification is 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 somewhat different than what silver's is, and from what from what I'm studying for in looking at this, and particularly what we're going to talk about when we look at um, uh, the Laodiceans and Peter. Um, a lot of what happens when we are being, where gold is being refined, silver seems to keep purging out dross, but since the gold comes from God's identity, it really is our willingness to be malleable. And, and so often, when gold is made into something, and you metallurgists know this, because of the quality of gold, in order for it to be used as, as certain types of jewelry or certain types of instruments, they have to merge it with some other metal, whether it's palladium or whether it's titanium or some other kind of metal, so that it can be of use. And, you know, the, the whole business from 22 carats on down is the amount of gold that's really there as opposed to what other metal is, is in it. So when our gold is being perfected, 
it's, it's pretty much more, if you're a saint, us saying, however you've used me in the past, however your purpose from the throne in faith has been used, no matter how beautiful that element was, I now put that part of who I am into your fire so that you can remove how you use me. It's kind of like unleavened. How you use me in the past so that then I can be brought back into that point of purity that your throne released, and now you can add to me what you need me to be in representing you in the days to come. And, you know, it's interesting. This is another study. You remember in the book of Daniel where the angel is talked about being uh, having on his loins the, uh, something as the gold of Ufer. Remember that? U-P-H-I-R. That was a specific type of amalgam of gold that represented that area, which showed that that angel was doing something from the throne on behalf of God's purpose that was exactly what needed to be in that area of the world. I think if it's good enough for the angels, it's good enough for us. And for us, we don't want to we don't want to release gold. And I think that crazy story I told about my the, the ring flying off. Um, I think that there was something prophetic, and I am believing. I've been asking the angels to to bring that back, unless unless it was found by some old old lady that was really suffering, and she's giving thanks to the Lord she found gold. And Debbie was writing me about how that sometimes angels would find those lost things and suddenly they'd show up in your house. That would be great. If that happens, we'll do a, a live stream. But I think that there's something that, um, that speaks of that. I want the gold that God wants us to be. It's the same purpose. It's the same mission. But I, I, I don't want to have whatever served me, no matter how beautiful it was in the past. None of us want that. We come as gold before the trying of our faith as gold. And, and we need that. And, and they said that when gold is being refined, and again, we've talked about this, that if there's an element of silver in the gold, it's the last that comes out. And I think that's, that's important too. But the way those metallurgists could really tell if whatever gold they were dealing with was purified was that they could see the reflection of their face in it. I think that is so interesting back in those days. If they could see the reflection like a mirror, then they knew that whatever they were doing for that part of gold, that the, the measures of dross had gone away. Now, if they just saw an image, a glass darkly, they knew that there was still dross that needed to come up, and they would carefully bring that away. But when they could see it clearly, then they knew that that reflection was there. And I think that what God is wanting for us in this time, and we've been engaged in this, maybe the doing has brought this for us, is that God wants us to say, whatever we've done representing your message, however we have uh, become uh, through submission to you, uh, however you formed us to accomplish the task then, we come before your fire again on behalf of our joint mission from the throne, the faith that you've given us to represent at the right hand. We lay that on your fire. And what we want to see is your reflection face to face 
And we want to see what you've made us to be in this hour. Not what you made us to be in the last hour. Not what you made us to be, no matter how beautiful it was five years ago, but now. And so we come to, as I threatened, uh, Revelation 3, where it speaks about the Laodiceans. This is really an interesting thing. Um, and I, I do think that it's the, the Laodicea was arguably the wealthiest city. I would say Thyatira, when we did the study on the seven churches and the throne of Satan and all, all of that stuff that we talked about, um, which you still need to figure out what the Lord wants us to do with that. Um, when, when, we, when we looked at that, we recognized that Thyatira and Sardis were probably, boy, they, they were wealthy too, but nobody compared to what the Laodiceans had because the Laodiceans had a, Laodiceans had a lot of, they, you, you talk about many sources of income, they had it all coming in. So any downturn didn't stop them. They just kept succeeding. And, <clears throat> but Jesus says, I counsel thee to buy of me <clears throat> gold tried in the fire. Now, what does that mean in light of what, we, what we've been talking about? Well, this phrase, to buy of me, you know as well as I do that none of us are going to buy anything from Jesus. You know, he doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your diamonds. I mean, you know, there's no treasure, Catholic treasury of merit. You know, we're going to stockpile this over here, and then we're going to, when you get a certain amount, we're going to spring Uncle Charlie from purgatory. You know, none of that stuff is going on. So we're not buying anything from Jesus. What does this phrase mean? Jesus is counseling. That word means he's coming alongside to come into some point of agreement with you to some point where you are in lockstep with what he's wanting to do and you you accept that offer and now you're functioning on behalf of his directive and that counsel then brings you to a point where you are you're exchanging something you're not buying anything but this same process that I talked about where you're giving over what you've had from him in the past. You're submitting that into the fire. So I counsel you, let's read it again, to buy of me, to give that exchange, those things that were treasured in him, those things that were marvelous for the last season. You, you read about why were those dudes up in heaven casting their crowns before his feet? It must have been hard to walk around with all those crowns everywhere. Jesus walked on the water. There's another anointing to walk on crowns. This is the same principle. Whatever they have gained, whatever those golden crowns represent as an overcomer, we want the next thing. And we, we don't just lay it there. We don't say, oh, well, if you really want it, you know, the guy up in front is counting down, and I've been holding out. Now I'm going to finally toss my crown over there. No, they want the next thing in the Lord. And we will constantly be doing that. So I counsel you to buy, to make this exchange of gold so that it can be tried in the fire. Isn't that wonderful? That's a wonderful thing. And so that God could take that identity of the church in Laodicea, 
says no matter how successful they've been and success was stamped all over them, they say, I am coming into alignment with your counsel, Lord, and I'm going to submit to you the precious, the treasures, the essence of the gold that you have invested in me and used for your kingdom, and I submit it to your fire. Isn't that, I just think that's wonderful. That's out of all the things that we're talking about today, this one, this one phrase right here was a rhema that ministered to my heart. And, and I believe that, you know, the silver seems to be testing other influences as to whether you're going to function and represent God rightly. The gold represents you and whether you're going to give it over. And ain't nobody holding that gold back but you. Oh, but I like this. I want to keep this. Remember what happened with Achan? I got this Babylonian garment and this chunk of gold here. No way. As Les was saying today, you know, kill it all. Give, give it all over the Lord. Burn it with fire, I heard him say. This is what Jesus is counseling for us as our identity in him. Because without the identity of the gold of his purpose from the throne and faith at the right hand, it doesn't matter what you're doing in your giftings. It doesn't matter what you're doing in the skill sets you have. Because you won't be representing, you may be doing good things, but you won't be representing what God is really saying from his throne in these days. Oh Lord, did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not heal the sick? Did we not do great miracles? Depart from me because I don't know you. He says, I never, never there does not indicate, oh, God, you know, God's got, uh, he's ancient of days. He's having little memory problems. God doesn't forget anything except for our sins that are under the blood of Jesus. What he was saying is this process of, pro of the progression of my development, you stopped it. And I don't recognize who you are now because you in all of your gifts, in all of your demonstrations, in all the ways you've learned the powers of the kingdom, you're not allowing me to form you anymore. So depart from me because you gave place to iniquity instead of letting those iniquities be changed into the image of my glory. So I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you then may be functioning in the plutos, that you would be rich, that you would be wealthy, lacking nothing, that you would be fully supplied in representing me, and that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness do not appear. What are they to be clothed with? White raiment. And remember when we talked about how that certain measures of linen, we said this a few weeks ago, were used in some ways as a touchstone. I don't know how this happened but it could reveal whether gold was really gold or not. I, I just think that's an, an additional factor. But the white linen of the saints, where we're saying all of our garments from the past, all the accoutrements, you know, all the, all the robes from past battles that are soiled in blood, now that's an offering to the Lord. Now clothe me again with this white raiment so that I can represent you according to your righteousness. So you have the gold of our purpose and, and, and all the things that represented the authority of the throne. That's in the fire. White raiment 
the new clothing is there. And then look at this. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As I was studying this, I, I stumbled on to, well, I'm sure that the Spirit guided me. I didn't realize that one of the things that Laodicea was known for was a particular type of eye salve. And they had this cult of uh, Phrygia, P-H-R, and they had this special stone called the Phrygian stone that was an astringent. In other words, it would draw things out. They used this stone for the dyeing of garments. And they'd export not only this stone, but they would export... um, they would export the, the dyed garments. And, but the Phrygian stone was also used medicinally. And they would grind this stone up into a powder. They would mix it with olive oil. And this was used not only on eyes, but it was used on wounds. And they would smear it on there. And it would supposedly, like an Epsom salt, but it was this Phrygian stone, would draw out impurities. It would draw out things that... Were, were maladies. And this salve was known, or, or the prescription of it was known. They would, they would almost sell packs where they didn't mix it up. They would sell the, the powder, and they would give the instruction with the oil, and, and then they would mix this up, and it would pr- make a, a cake, as it were. And so that was with the... Uh, the, the Laodiceans, one of the things the Laodiceans were known for, and I think it's interesting that Jesus says, you need to anoint your own eyes with eye salve that you may see. What you've been looking at in the past now needs to be refined. It needs to be drawn out. Every one of these processes, these three, was a refining. And, um, um, you know, the gold is in the fire, refining. The garments, you had to surrender your old garments and be washed and cleansed to put these on. That's a refining. And what you see and how you perceive and how you partner with the ways of God, you know, you're known in the natural to bring healing, but what God needs to do is to anoint your own eyes so that now you'll see clearly what he wants instead of the way things have always been done. I just think this is so fascinating to me. Uh, another thing I was studying about this, and I promised I wasn't going to tell funny things, but this kind of cracks me up. Um, this business of selling salves, S-A-L-V-E-S, was something that was known in those days, but it was also known throughout the Middle Ages. And, you know, we've heard of somebody being called a quack or somebody hawking something, and that comes from a Dutch word that would describe somebody who sold salves. And it, the, the quack was, or hawk, was from that same word that if I spoke Dutch, I could pronounce it, but for the English hearer, we would say, it, it sounds like they're saying quack or they're hawking something. And people sometimes, like in medicine shows, would go around and sell salves and promise, you know, like in the Wild West, you know those medicine shows? drink this. It'll do everything. It'll even clean spots on your carpet, you know. And we call those people quacks because they were selling stuff that the gullible would buy. But particularly with salves, they had a special word that somebody was hawking salve or quack hawking salve. And so if you call somebody a quack, 
That meant they don't know what they're doing, <laughs> but you're paying them money anyway. That's extra. I won't charge anything more for that, Rose. Um, so the salve, you know what Jesus is saying here, but the, but the thing for me is about our purpose and what, what God has called us to be in this movement of the saints, that from the right hand of the throne, that precious gold of faith, which is in itself is drawing people as sons to the right hand of the throne. That's a great mission, to be a representative of the message as to how people can hear from God and represent the Lord on behalf of the purpose of the Father at the right hand of the throne. And so we need to we need to be perfected in that so that we will represent his face and that his face and our face will be prominently displayed in that gold while we also represent the silver of our calling. So the last one is 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Thanks to Scott for putting this up here. It's hard making him work hard on his birthday. Um, so be sure you say happy birthday to Uncle Scott or Uncle Scotch as the Brazilians call him. It's not because he was drinking it. They just perverted his name. First um, Peter 1, 6 and 7, wherein we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Have you ever equated that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold, that those manifold temptations might be what we're talking about today? Where you feel that things are pulling on what you're called to be. And the enemy is trying to work away to get you off of your course. But yet the faith of God stands as gold tried in the fire. That's what we're supposed to be before the Lord now. And he's been doing this. I'm not saying he's going to start it. But as is so often the case, God waits till he sees that we're actually going to do and partner with him before he brings understanding so that we teach everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. Um, he doesn't tell us all at the beginning. He hides us in the place where he plants us, in the cleft of the rock, under his hand. And once the glory passes by, then we see. And then we understand a great measure, but not all. Um, so I think this is very interesting. And what's it supposed to accomplish? Praise, honor, and glory. Praise always declares forward. We talked about that halal, where, where praise waits in Zion. Praise always goes forward. Honor is time, where we're committing not only the imprint of what we're supposed to represent, but time. We're committing to the process. And the glory is the fulfillment of what God has desired to do from the throne. For Peter, under the anointing of the Spirit, this process of the refining of gold in the midst of manifold temptations is designed to empower us to, to go forth into the new, to represent God in a new way, the imprint of him on us uh, for whatever time it takes, the patience of the apostolic, 
and then to see his glory revealed. I think this is wonderful. So, as opposed to my daughter last week who let you out in a timely manner, I'm back and I'm holding you late. Um, let's know that God has entrusted us with something magnificent beyond anything we, we realize in this time frame. The most important thing you have as a born-again believer is that ability to partner with the purpose of God that he created you to be and that is released from his throne. And to me, I, I know that we have the best of these. I know that as pneumaticos people, as saints, that's the apex. And prophets that represent that calling are the finest of prophets. And so we couldn't ask for anything. We'd, be, we'd settle for whatever the Father gave us, but he just happened to give us the best. I'm so grateful for that. And um, so your personal identity is being, before the Lord, tested. Recognize when it happens. If you feel something pulling on you, or if you feel that, you know, there's almost like a, an attempt to hijack your gifting, or something rushes against you, and and you begin to react in a way that, you, in retrospect, you say, that's not pleasing. Identify what it is and begin to overcome that evil intent with good. And say with Michael, the Lord rebuke you. The purpose of God rebuke you. I am what God has made you to be, me to be. And I am not going to give my giftings or my capacities over to the ways of this world, I'm not even for a second, and, and learn to turn that, turn that for the good, knowing that this is largely the process. Now, again, the, the, the epistles warn us, let no man say when they sin that they're being tempted of God. I mean, if, if you're just prone to do something, don't be blaming it on the enemy, you know? Like that guy that just kept blowing his salary on booze instead of paying the bills at home and uh, seeing that his kids are fed. And he would say, oh, the devil's just been after me. Well, at some point, you need to recognize that the devil has really nothing to do with this. It's, it's you, and you need to stop doing it. So, you know, let's, let's be wise with this. But know that there are spiritual influences that don't want you representing what the throne is requiring in this time frame. And know that um, some of those influences might be uh, external, and some of them might be other people, some of them might be you. Because the carnal is never wanting uh, us to submit ourselves to the ways of the Spirit, it's an enmity. There are parts of me that, that I know God has already refined. Then you go a little bit deeper, and whatever God refined still wants, is believing for a comeback, you know? And we, we, need to, we need to not let that happen. You know what I mean? Um, not giving too much, I'm not giving too much credence to the enemy or to our carnal nature, but we need to, we need to overcome and we need to recognize that the enemy's not trying to play fair. 
some of these circumstances and influences in the spirit realm in these days in the timing of the Lord are new. And um, we're going to be fine, but as long as we're refined. So let's uh, write that down, uh, Denise. You can use that. Um, so, Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for the diligence and the resilience and the commitment of this people and for all of our saints' network. We submit ourselves before you. And I know that there's the wheel of God. I know that there's the potter. I know that there's all these things. But this is speaking about our identity. And we are being brought to a point of unique service to, the, to you, Father. And I pray that you'll help us all to be pleasing in your sight. We accept the counsel of our Lord Jesus. And we are willing to exchange what we've known, the treasures that you've shared with us into your fire, into your hands, so that we will be equipped for what you want in the days to come. Thank you for this, Lord. And I speak blessing over all of this congregation. I speak blessing over all of our network family. I speak blessing over all of those ones that you are calling and help us to represent you um, as your vessels and as your sons. We love you, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks, everybody. God bless you all, and I pray that this week will be wonderful in him. And Zach is up, and he, I think he's already heading to the youth room. He needs some strong folks to help him move those chairs. So don't make Zach labor alone, okay? He's just, we can't, we can't, we can't abuse this, this Floridian transplant that's becoming a Texan. So let's go help him. See ya. <laughs>